If this is not impeachable conduct, what is? Good question, Adam Schiff. It's nothing more than an impeachment process in search of a crime. Dumb argument, Devin Nunes. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas, on KPSQ. In Seattle, on KODX. In Janesville, Wisconsin, on WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM950, KTNF, amongst other fine terrestrial affiliates. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for special coverage of the very first public hearing in the official impeachment inquiry of Donald J. Trump. That got underway on Wednesday morning in the U.S. Capitol as the House Intelligence Committee held a nearly six-hour-long public hearing with two witnesses, both longtime professional Nonpartisan career diplomats examining President Trump's withholding of military aid to Ukraine and a meeting with its president, Vladimir Zelensky, in what Democrats describe as a quid pro quo or extortion or bribery scandal in which Donald Trump and his aides, through an irregular diplomatic channel, had demanded that President Zelensky announce investigations into Joe Biden and his son Hunter, who was a member of the uh, uh, board of directors of the Ukrainian natural gas company called Burisma when his father, Joe, was vice president and into a conspiracy involving alleged interference in the 2016 election by Ukraine on behalf of Hillary Clinton. All of that was um, being withheld in order to get those Uh, those investigations from Ukraine, or at least an announcement of those investigations that Donald Trump could use in his 2020 re-election campaign. We'll play you some extended audio clips from that hearing today for those who may have missed all or part of it. And we will be joined a little bit later by the great Heather Digby Parton as we are all just taking this in. The hearings just wrapped up within the past hour or so as we go to air. And Desi Doyen has been scrambling to pull audio from uh, from those ever since. <laughs> may still be even pulling them as we speak. Even as we speak. 
You okay? You yes. In, you in one piece? All yes, right. Yes, of course. The two witness uh, two witnesses in Wednesday's hearings were George Kent, the uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State overseeing policy for Ukraine. Kent has been a part of the State Department's Foreign Service since 1992, having served in uh, in total under five different U.S. presidents, three Republicans and two Democrats during his time in government service. And the other was. Bill Taylor, William Taylor, who served and still does as Donald Trump's top diplomat in Ukraine. Taylor has 50 years of government service under his belt as both a diplomat and a soldier. He was an inf- uh, infantryman in uh, in Vietnam, where he was uh, uh, received several awards during his combat there. And he was also served in, uh, in Germany as a diplomat. He served as the ambassador to Ukraine under Presidents, uh, Presidents Bush and then Obama from 2006 to 2009, after more than 30 years at the State Department with stints in Armenia, Kyrgyzstan, Russia and Somalia. He then uh, left the Foreign Service only to be asked to return to Ukraine this year by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Bill Taylor has also served as a career diplomat under five different presidents of both parties. The most striking piece of information to come out, at least uh, I think the most newsworthy, um, at least the most newsworthy new piece of information, maybe that's the best way to put it, regards uh, Bill Taylor's testimony that just last Friday, He was informed by a staffer that, uh, as uh, AP reports it, President Donald Trump was overheard asking about, quote, the investigations that he wanted Ukraine to pursue that are central to this impeachment inquiry. Taylor said that his staff recently told him they had overheard Trump when they were meeting with another diplomat, Ambassador Gordon Sondland, a major Trump donor who he named as ambassador to the EU. Uh, This call took place at a restaurant the day after Trump's infamous July 25 phone call with the new leader of Ukraine, Zelensky, uh, that has sparked this impeachment investigation. The staffers explained that Ambassador Sondland had called the president on an unsecured cell phone from the restaurant in what would have been the middle of the night in the U.S., and they could actually hear Trump on the phone asking about, quote, the investigations. Ambassador Sondland is said to have told the president that the Ukrainians were ready to move forward with the announcement of investigations of Biden and the 2016 election, according to Taylor's testimony on Wednesday. And uh, after that, he said his staffer had asked Sondland how Trump felt about Ukraine and Sondland said he cares more about the Bidens than he does about Ukraine. I'll try to play you some of that audio uh, testimony in a little bit. The remarkable hearings, only the fourth time in our nation's history that we've held such hearings at all, was the first chance for America and the rest of the world to see and hear for themselves about Trump's actions toward Ukraine and to consider whether they are, in fact, impeachable offenses. Moments after the hearings began, Donald Trump's re-election machine sent out an email blast with an all-caps quote from the president, quote, fake impeachment hearings have begun. I want to raise $3 million in the next 24 hours. Yes, he's raising money 
off his own impeachment. Would you expect anything less? I would not. Uh, at the start of the hearings, uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, the Democratic chairman of the Intelligence Committee, outlined the question at the core of this impeachment inquiry, whether the president used his office to pressure Ukraine officials for personal political gain. I want to play extended clips here of both Schiff and his uh, Republican counterpart, Devin Nunes. Here is Adam Schiff's opening statement on the first day of the public impeachment hearings at the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday. In 2014, Russia invaded the United States ally, Ukraine, to reverse that nation's embrace of the West and to fulfill Vladimir Putin's desire to rebuild a Russian empire. In the following years, 14,000 Ukrainians died as they battled superior Russian forces. Earlier this year, Vladimir Zelensky was elected president of Ukraine on a platform of ending the conflict and tackling corruption. He was a newcomer to politics and immediately sought to establish a relationship with Ukraine's most powerful patron, the United States. The questions presented by this impeachment inquiry are whether President Trump sought to exploit that ally's vulnerability and invite Ukraine's interference in our elections, whether President Trump sought to condition official acts, such as a White House meeting or U.S. military assistance, on Ukraine's willingness to assist with two political investigations that would help his re-election campaign. And if President Trump did either, whether such an abuse of his power is compatible with the office of the presidency. The matter is as simple and as terrible as that. Our answer to these questions will affect not only the future of this presidency, but the future of the presidency itself, and what kind of conduct or misconduct the American people may come to expect from their commander-in-chief. There are few actions as consequential as the impeachment of a president. While the founders did not intend that impeachment be employed for mere differences over policy, they also made impeachment a constitutional process that the Congress must utilize as necessary. The facts in the present inquiry are not seriously contested. Beginning in January of this year, the president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, pressed Ukrainian authorities to investigate Burisma, the country's largest national gas producer, and the Bidens, since Vice President Joe Biden was seen as a strong potential challenger to Trump. Giuliani also promoted a debunked conspiracy that it was Ukraine, not Russia, that hacked the 2016 U.S. election. The nation's intelligence agencies have stated unequivocally that it was Russia, not Ukraine, that interfered in our election. But Giuliani believed this conspiracy theory, referred to as CrowdStrike, shorthand for the company that discovered the Russian hack, would aid his client's re-election. Giuliani also conducted a smear campaign against the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch. On April 29, a senior State Department official told her that although she had done nothing wrong, President Trump had lost confidence in her. With the sidelining of Yovanovitch, the stage was set for the establishment of an irregular channel in which Giuliani and later others, including Gordon Sondland, an influential donor to the president's inauguration, now serving as ambassador to the European Union, could advance the president's personal and political interests. Yovanovitch's replacement in Kiev, Ambassador Bill Taylor, is a West Point graduate and a Vietnam veteran. 
As he began to better understand the scheme through the summer of 2019, he pushed back, informing Deputy Assistant Secretary Kent and others about a plan to condition U.S. government actions and funding on the performance of political favors by the Ukrainian government, favors intended for President Trump that would undermine our security and our elections. Several key events in this scheme took place in the month of July. On July 10th, Ambassador Sondland informed a group of U.S. and Ukrainian officials meeting at the White House that according to you, Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, a White House meeting desperately sought by the Ukrainian president with Trump would happen only if Ukraine undertook an investigation into the energy sector, which was understood to mean Burisma and specifically the Bidens. National Security Advisor Bolton abruptly ended the meeting and said afterwards that he would not be, quote, part of whatever drug deal Sondland and Mulvaney are cooking up on this, end quote. A week later, on July 18th, a representative of the Office of Management and Budget, the White House agency that oversees federal spending, announced on a video conference that Mulvaney, at the direction of the president, was freezing nearly $400 million in security assistance authorized and appropriated by Congress and which the entirety of the U.S. national security establishment supported. One week after that, Donald Trump would have the now infamous July 25th phone call with Ukrainian President Zelensky. During that call, Trump complained that the U.S. relationship with Ukraine had not been reciprocal. Later, Zelensky thanks Trump for his support in the area of defense and says that Ukraine is ready to purchase more javelins, an anti-tank weapon that was among the most important deterrents of further Russian military action. Trump's immediate response, I would like you to do us a favor, though. Trump then requested that Zelensky investigate the discredited 2016 CrowdStrike conspiracy theory and even more ominously, ominously look into the Bidens. Neither of these investigations was in the U.S. national interest and neither was part of the official preparatory material for the call. Both, however, were in Donald Trump's personal interest and in the interests of his 2020 re-election campaign. And the Ukrainian president knew about both in advance because Sondland and others had been pressing Ukraine for weeks about investigations into the 2016 election, Burisma, and the Bidens. After the call, multiple individuals were concerned enough to report it to the National Security Council's top lawyer. The White House would then take the extraordinary step of moving the call record to a highly classified server exclusively reserved for the most sensitive intelligence matters. In the weeks that followed, Ambassador Taylor learned new facts about a scheme that Sondland, even Sondland, would describe as becoming more insidious. Taylor texted Sondland, quote, are we now saying that security assistance and White House meeting are conditioned on investigations? As summer turned to fall, it kept getting more insidious, Mr. Sondland testified. Mr. Taylor, who took notes of his conversation, said the ambassador told him in a September 1st phone call that everything was dependent on the public announcement of investigations, including security assistance. President Trump wanted Mr. Zelensky in a public box. President Trump is a businessman, Sondland said later. 
when a businessman is about to sign a check to someone who owes him something, the businessman asks that person to pay up before signing the check. In a sworn declaration after Taylor's testimony, Sondland would admit to telling Ukrainians at a September 1st meeting in Warsaw, quote, that resumption of U.S. aid would likely not occur until Ukraine provided the public anti-corruption statement that we have been discussing for many weeks. The President's Chief of Staff confirmed Trump's efforts to coerce Ukraine by withholding aid. When Mick Mulvaney was asked publicly about it, his answer was breathtaking. We do that all the time with foreign policy, he said. I have news for everybody. Get over it. There's going to be political influence in foreign policy. That is going to happen. The video of that confession is plain for all to see. Some have argued in the President's defense that the aid was ultimately released. And that is true. But only after Congress began an investigation. Only after the President's lawyers learned of a whistleblower complaint. And only after members of Congress began asking uncomfortable questions about quid pro quos. A scheme to condition official acts or taxpayer funding to obtain a personal political benefit does not become less odious because it is discovered before it is fully consummated. In fact, the security assistance had been delayed so long, it would take another act of Congress to ensure that it could still go out. And that Oval Office meeting that Zelensky desperately sought, it still hasn't happened. This is what we believe the testimony will show, both as to the President's conduct and as to his obstruction of Congress. The issue that we confront is the one posed by the President's acting chief of staff when he challenged Americans to get over it. If we find that the President of the United States abused his power and invited foreign interference in our elections, or if he sought to condition, coerce, extort, or bribe an ally into conducting investigations to aid his reelection campaign and did so by withholding official acts, a White House meeting, or hundreds of millions of dollars of needed military aid, must we simply get over it? Is this what Americans should now expect from their president? If this is not impeachable conduct, what is? Yep, good question. That was Congressman Adam Schiff of California, chair of the House Intelligence Committee on the first day of public impeachment hearings in the House. For his part, the ranking Republican member of the Intelligence Committee accused the Democratic majority of conducting a scorched earth effort to uh, take down the president after the special counsel's Russia investigation into the 2016 election failed to spark similar impeachment proceedings. Devin Nunes also offered a lot of stuff and nonsense that normally I would not share on air because I don't like to forward propaganda on these airwaves. In this case, however, out of an abundance of fairness on the first day of the hearings and because I think it's important to get a sense of where the Republicans are going here as far as what their strategy for defending the president may be, I want to go ahead and play Devin Nunes's opening statement as well. In a July open hearing of this committee following publication of the Mueller report, the Democrats engaged in a last-ditch effort to convince the American people that President Trump is a Russian agent. 
That hearing was the pitiful finale of a three-year-long operation by the Democrats, the corrupt media, and partisan bureaucrats to overturn the results of the 2016 election. After the spectacular implosion of their Russia hoax on July 24th, in which they spent years denouncing any Republican who ever shook hands with a Russian, on July 25th, they turned on a dime and now claim the real malfeasance is Republicans' dealings with Ukraine. In the blink of an eye, we're asked to simply forget about Democrats on this committee, falsely claiming they had more than circumstantial evidence of collusion between President Trump and Russians. We should forget about them reading fabrications of Trump-Russia collusion from the Steele dossier into the congressional record. We should also forget about them trying to obtain nude pictures of Trump from Russian pranksters who pretended to be Ukrainian officials. We should forget about them leaking a false story to CNN while he was still testifying to our committee claiming that Donald Trump Jr. was colluding with WikiLeaks. And forget about countless other deceptions, large and small, that make them the last people on earth with the credibility to hurl more preposterous accusations at their political opponents. And yet now, here we are. We're supposed to take these people at face value when they trot out a new batch of allegations. But anyone familiar with the Democrats' scorched earth war against President Trump would not be surprised to see all the typical signs that this is a carefully orchestrated media smear campaign. For example, after vowing publicly that impeachment requires bipartisan support, Democrats are pushing impeachment forward without the backing of a single Republican. The witnesses deemed suitable for television by the Democrats were put through a closed door audition process in a cult-like atmosphere in the basement of the Capitol where Dem Democrats conducted secret depositions, released a flood of misleading and one-sided leaks, and later selectively released transcripts in a highly staged manner. The Democrats rejected most of the Republicans' witness requests, resulting in a horrifically one-sided process where the crucial witnesses are denied a platform if their testimony does not support the Democrats' absurd accusations. Notably, they are trying to impeach the President for inquiring about Hunter Biden's activities. Yet they refuse our request to hear from Biden himself. The whistleblower was acknowledged to have a bias against President Trump, and his attorney touted a coup against the President and called for his impeachment just weeks after the election. And most egregiously, the staff of the Democrats on this committee had direct discussions with the whistleblower before his or her complaint was submitted to the Inspector General. Republicans can't get a full account of these contacts because Democrats broke their promise to have the whistleblower testify to this committee. Democrat members hid these contacts from Republicans and then lied about them to the American people on national television. I've noted before the Democrats have a long habit of accusing Republicans of offenses they themselves are committing. Let's recall 
For years, they accused the Trump campaign of colluding with Russia when they themselves were colluding with Russia by funding and spreading the Steele dossier, which relied on Russian sources. And now they accuse President Trump of malfeasance in Ukraine when they themselves are culpable. The Democrats cooperated in Ukrainian election meddling, and they defend Hunter Biden's securing of a lavishly paid position with a corrupt Ukrainian company, all while his father served as vice president. Despite this hypocrisy, the Democrats are advancing their impeachment sham. But we should not hold any hearings at all until we get answers to three crucial questions the Democrats are determined to avoid asking. First, what is the full extent of the Democrats' prior coordination with the whistleblower? And who else did the whistleblower coordinate this effort with? Second, what is the full extent of Ukraine's election meddling against the Trump campaign? And third, why did Burisma hire Hunter Biden? And what did he do for them? And did his position affect any U.S. government actions under the Obama administration? These questions will remain outstanding because Republicans were denied the right to call witnesses that know these answers. Thus, as we'll learn in these hearings, after expressing skepticism of foreign aid and concern about foreign corruption on the campaign trail, President Trump outraged the bureaucracy by acting skeptically about foreign aid and expressing concerns about foreign corruption. Officials' alarm at the president's actions was typically based on second-hand, third-hand, and even fourth-hand rumors and innuendo. They believed it was an outrage for the president to fire an ambassador even though the president has full authority to retain or remove diplomats for any reason at any time. Officials show the surprising lack of interest in the indications of Ukrainian election meddling that deeply concern the president at whose pleasure they serve. Despite all their dissatisfaction with President Trump's Ukraine policy, the president approved the supply of weapons to Ukraine. Unlike the previous administration, which provided blankets as defense against invading Russians. By undermining the president, who they are supposed to be serving, the elements of the FBI, the Department of Justice, and now the State Department, have lost the confidence of millions of Americans who believe that their vote should count for something. This spectacle is doing great damage to our country. It's nothing more than an impeachment process in search of a crime. I'm not sure this spectacle is doing damage to our country. I think that damage may have already been done. That was Republican ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee, Devin Nunes of California, uh, in his opening statement at the first day of public impeachment hearings, talking about fabricated claims. There are no fabricated claims, as far as I know, secret depositions. Well, they were secret, uh, but Republicans on three different House committees were there for them. Um, And, well, you can uh, make sense of uh, the rest of that yourself, Uh, although I do want to know when he talks about uh, second and third and fourth-hand rumors, as he describes these, uh, all of this information is corroborated by all of the other witnesses so far. Uh, And as far as the firsthand witnesses, well, the White House refuses to allow 
those witnesses to testify before the U.S. House. Quick break, and we're back with a few more uh, clips from today's uh, impeachment hearings. And the great Heather Digby Parton will be joining us as well for analysis. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with special impeachment hearing coverage uh, that we may be uh, doing for the next few days and weeks. And who knows how long this is going to happen. Shortly, we'll be joined by Heather Digby Parton to discuss what happened on Wednesday. But I want to share a few more quick clips from that six hour hearing on Wednesday before she joins us. Uh, Both Ambassador Bill Taylor and the other public witness, George Kent, Deputy Assistant Secretary at the State Department. By the way, the two most ambassadoriest looking witnesses (laughs) I think you could possibly find. Straight out of central casting. Totally. Uh, They both defied White House instructions uh, to not testify. They both received subpoenas to appear, which they said they felt legally obligated to respond to. Uh, one of the uh, questions from um, a series of questions came from Congressman Denny Heck, Democrat of Washington, who wondered uh, if uh, 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 our own president seemingly undermining um, uh, corruption investigations by asking for fake corruption investigations itself, doesn't that make it more difficult for the U.S. to spread democratic values around the world? And here was the uh, responses from both uh, uh, from uh, Secretary Kent and Ambassador Taylor. For as long as I can remember, U.S. foreign policy has been predicated on advancing principled interests and democratic values, notably freedom of speech, press, assembly, religion, free, fair, and open elections, and the rule of law. Mr. Kent, when American leaders ask foreign governments to investigate their potential rivals, doesn't that make it harder for us to advocate on behalf of those democratic values? I believe it makes it more difficult for our diplomatic representatives overseas to carry out those policy goals, yes. How is that, sir? Well, there's an issue of credibility. They hear diplomats on the ground saying one thing, and they hear uh, other U.S. leaders saying something else. Ambassador Taylor, would you agree with that, sir? I would. Is there anything you'd like to add about how it might make it more difficult for you to do your job, sir? Our credibility... Um, is based on a respect for the United States. And if we damage that respect, then it hurts our credibility and makes it more difficult for for us to do our jobs. Anyone looking at the facts can see what happened was an abuse of power. Anyone looking at the facts can see 
that what happened was unethical. Anyone looking at the facts can see, anyone looking at the facts can see that what went on was just plain wrong. Congressman uh, Raja Krishnamurtha of Democrat of Illinois also asked uh, similar probing questions at the end of Wednesday's hearings, uh, directing them to Bill Taylor, who served in uh, Vietnam as a decorated uh, veteran, combat veteran there, uh, and asking how what the president did here in defying Congress by not giving away the uh, $391 million in military aid to Ukraine, how that would appear, how that would work out had it been a, an actual commander in the field in the military doing something similar. Ambassador Taylor, I want to draw on your experience finally as a West Point cadet and as an infantry commander in Vietnam. In a battlefield situation, is a commanding officer allowed to hold up action, placing his troops at risk until someone provides him a personal benefit? No, sir. Is that because if commanding officers did that, they would be betraying their responsibility to the nation and the men and women under their command? Yes, sir. And if that happened and were found out, could that person be subject to discipline? Yes, sir. Could that type of conduct trigger a court-martial? Yes, sir. So there you go. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with Heather Digby Parton for some analysis of, boy, uh, all of this that went on today as we try to make sense of this in our special impeachment coverage here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. All right, welcome back to the broadcast and our special coverage of the public impeachment hearings of Donald J. Trump. I am Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Joining us now as we try to figure out how these impeachment hearings will be proceeding and how best to cover and make sense of them, which in itself is a, is a challenge, frankly, but we're going to try, is our old friend Heather Digby Parton. We have drafted her as sort of our broadcast impeachment correspondent for the duration, without even knowing how long that duration might be, Heather. Uh, she is, of course, the much-beloved longtime blogger known to many simply as Digby, as the proprietor of the long-running Hullabaloo blog. She's also a regular contributor at Salon and the winner of the Sidney Hillman Prize for Opinion and Analysis Journalism. And, of course... She has been a regular on this program for many years, including on that infamous day that Donald Trump came down the escalator way back in June of 2015, I think it was, to announce his presidential run. Welcome back, Digby, and thanks for figuring out uh, all of this along with us as we go here. 
It's uh, <laughs> especially confusing on the West Coast, where we all have to wake up uh. at dawn for this sort of stuff. Uh, anyway, we have been playing some extended clips from uh, Wednesday's first public impeachment hearing. Uh, so uh, what did you learn today, Heather, that you did not know before today? Anything in particular? Well, there were some things that I think were new, uh, and we also learned how the the hearings are going to be held mm-hmm. and the strategy of both sides. So it's very, it's you know, we are getting something, even for those of us who mm-hmm. had read the, the testimony, which I had, mm-hmm. um, and was familiar with what the two witnesses, um, Kent and Taylor, were going to say today. Um, but there was some new information, and, you know, the, the, the most interesting one mm-hmm. was um, Ambassador Taylor uh, revealed that he had not known this before he gave his written te- before he gave testimony in the deposition right. and his own opening statement. But he had subsequently learned that uh, when he was in Ukraine, and he had testified to this already, that he went to the front and observed the war that was that is going on between mm-hmm. Ukraine and Russia. That night, um, back in in he calls it Kiev. Mm-hmm. I always called it Kiev, but right. what do I know? He he would know better than I. When they were back in Kiev, uh, Ambassador Gordon Sondland, who is the, um, the the ambassador to the EU, who Trump had sort of you know tasked with this Ukraine back channel that he had developed to work with Rudy Giuliani. Right. Um, in any case, he went to dinner with one of Taylor's staff members back in the Capitol after having met with uh, with uh, President Zelensky, and he immediately called. Uh, the president, and apparently got him on the horn. I mean, you know, yeah, we're talking wh- sitting at the table with a cell phone, called and called up, called up the president, said, "Hey, how you, how you doing, Don? You know, or whatever." Well, and let me play that clip. Actually, we happen to have that okay. one uh, on hand, and uh, and then we'll talk about it because you're right. It was both new, striking, and uh, well, there were several things striking about it. Here's uh, Bill Taylor uh, explaining this new information. Last Friday. <clears throat> A member of my staff told me of events that occurred on July 26th. While Ambassador Volker and, I, Volker and I visited the front, this member of my staff accompanied Ambassador Sondland. Ambassador Sondland met with Mr. Yerbach. Following that meeting, in the presence of my staff, at a restaurant, Ambassador Sondland called President Trump and told him of his meetings in Kiev. The member of my staff could hear President Trump on the phone asking Ambassador Sondland about the investigations. Ambassador Sondland told President Trump the Ukrainians were ready to move forward. Following the call with President Trump, the member of my staff asked Ambassador Sondland what President Trump thought about Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland responded that President Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden, which Giuliani was pressing for. At the time I gave my deposition on October 22nd, I was not aware of this information. I'm including it here for completeness. So uh, that that does seem striking on a number of levels, uh, if only that Gordon Sondland, who was the ambassador to the EU, uh, not to Ukraine, but to the EU, was making a cell phone call on, uh, on, a, on an unsecured cell phone in what would have been the middle of the night to the president of the United States to talk about uh, Ukraine and the investigation of the Bidens and in a restaurant, I guess, where 
other staffers could actually hear what Donald Trump was saying? Not just other staffers, but anybody else who might have been nearby, <laughs> anybody who might have been listening, like, say, oh, I don't know, the Russians. It's unbelievable. I mean, I, I I just had to blink when I heard that. You've got to be kidding me. I mean, the, we know about, I mean, who knows where Donald Trump was? Mm-hmm. I mean, I assume it's the middle of the night. He must have, you know, gotten, was in bed or at least in his, his residence when the call came through. And he picks it up right away, suggesting that Sondland mm-hmm. had a direct line to the president. This is important information. Um, and, of course, what he said was, you know, the first thing out of his mouth, tell me about the investigations, uh, which clearly indicates what it was that Trump was most concerned about, not, you know, the, uh, you know, overall corruption. Right, that he pretends. Right, he's a a crusader for uh, anti-corruption, except he's never, you know, done anything with anti-corruption anywhere in the world, the United States, and he is the most corrupt president in history. So it's a little hard to believe that was his concern, but this sort of, you know, this pretty clearly says that wasn't his concern. He wanted to know about these investigations. And And Sondland told... This staffer, well, this is what he cares about. He yep. doesn't really care about the Ukraine, um, you know, Ukraine. He doesn't care about Ukraine. And, in fact, what we know from press accounts is that he has an active hostility toward Ukraine. Mm-hmm. This isn't just, you know, and, in fact, it's irrational. It's, it's kind of crazy from the way it's described in the press, the way he feels about Ukraine, much of it fed by people like Paul Manafort and probably Vladimir Putin in some of those secret meetings, one can imagine that they, he's also planting this stuff in Trump's head. It, it occurred to me, uh, sort of watching all day, uh, that in one sense, you know, w- we have already heard, we've seen uh, the testimony. Of course, the American people probably have not plowed through hundreds of pages of testimony, but uh, we've seen news reports of what uh, a lot of these folks have testified to. This was obviously something new today. Uh, from uh, from Bill Taylor. But uh, in one sense, uh, as I'm watching, it felt like this is as much about sort of forcing Republicans to respond publicly to these allegations as it is to air the charges publicly. They, they haven't had much of a response to these charges. Uh, many have been ducking out entirely on asking, uh, you know, w- when asked questions about them. So now we get to see what their response is. How did... Uh, that response, as it's coming uh, to, as it came to shape uh, in this first public hearing, how did that strike you coming from the Republicans? Do they have a response? They clearly do not. Um, they seem to be completely unprepared, which is shocking, if true. Uh, it may just be that they did the best they could with what they have to work with. Um, but mm-hmm. they had, you know, Devin Nunes, who is really, I mean, compared to Adam Schiff, who is an experienced trial lawyer, you know, federal prosecutor, U.S. attorney. Um, and the, the staff lawyer, Daniel Goldman, they put up Den- Devin Nunes and this other lawyer uh, named Castor, um, both of whom were just absolutely dismal. They, they, Devin Nunes and many of the other Republicans on the panel, when they got a chance to question the witnesses, were just talking about conspiracy theories, things that only Fox News would even understand what they were talking about and clearly the witnesses didn't they were looking at them like i, I don't know what, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, well okay whatever you say you know they were terrible the, the, their main argument seemed to be that uh ukraine and zelensky got the military aid um that was withheld for a, a, a time 
uh, in exchange for what uh, Trump had hoped to, to be an announcement of investigations against the Biden and into uh, the Bidens and into 2016. Um, but then they got that military aid. Ukraine did anyway in September, even without publicly announcing an investigation of the Bidens in 2016. Uh, and uh, so there could not have been a quid pro quo or bribery or extortion because Ukraine got their money anyway. That seemed to be the strongest argument that they were putting forward. Is that a compelling argument, Heather? Uh, no. And there's a simple reason for it. The only reason they released the aid was because they were caught. <laughs> and this they only released the aid after the whistleblower's complaint came through, after mm -hmm. Congress started asking questions, and after the impeachment inquiry started asking questions. Mm -hmm. Then they released the aid. So it's clear that they had no intention of doing it. And in fact, we know that Zelensky was scheduled to be on Fareed Zakaria's show on CNN to make the announcement. Mm -hmm. They were, they, you know, they were ready. He was ready to capitulate, do what he needed to do. After all, they had soldiers dying on the battlefield. They needed that, that military aid desperately. So they were ready to do it, and they pulled out at the last minute because Trump was forced to release that aid. Um, and so I don't think that argument has, carries any water at all. But, and Trump is not giving them anything else to work with. Yeah, because that was that was about all they had. And the timeline on that, you're right, is really damning. Apparently, uh, word of that whistleblower had uh, that whistleblower complaint had made its way to Congress on September 9 and then to the White House on September 10. And then in what I'm sure is a complete coincidence, the uh, f uh, money, $391 million in uh, military assistance was released by the White House to Ukraine on September 11, the uh -huh. very next day. Uh, there was there was also a direct uh, question from Jim Himes, uh, the uh, Democrat from Connecticut, to Deputy Assistant Secretary uh, George Kent, citing Senator Rand Paul's claim on Sunday, on one of the Sunday shows, that Joe Biden, when he was vice president, that he had asked for the removal of a corrupt Ukrainian prosecutor at the time. And Rand Paul claimed that was exactly the same thing that Donald Trump did in asking for investigations of his own uh, personal political opponents. Uh, let me play that change, uh, that exchange, and we'll get your thoughts. The defenders of the president's behavior have made a big deal out of the fact that Vice President Biden encouraged the Ukrainians to remove a corrupt former Ukrainian prosecutor, 2016, uh, Mr. Shokin. And in fact, uh, Senator Rand Paul on Sunday said, and I quote him, they're impeaching the president, President Trump for exactly the same thing that Joe Biden did. Is that correct? Is what the president uh, what the president did in his phone call and what Joe Biden did in terms of Mr. Shokin, are those exactly the same things? And if not, how are they different? I do not think they are the same things. What uh, former Vice President Biden uh, requested of former president of Ukraine, Poroshenko, was the removal of a corrupt prosecutor general, Viktor Shokin, who had uh, undermined a program of assistance that we had spent, again, U.S. taxpayer money uh, to try to build an independent investigator unit to go after corrupt prosecutors. 
And there was a case called the Diamond Prosecutor case in which Shokin destroyed the entire uh, ecosystem that we were trying to help create. The investigators, the judges who issued the warrants, the uh, law enforcement that had warrants to, to do the wiretapping, everybody to protect his former driver whom he'd made a prosecutor. That's what Joe Biden was asking, remove the corrupt prosecutor. So, so, so Joe, Joe Biden was participating in an open effort, established whole of government effort to address corruption in Ukraine. That is correct. Great. So, Mr. Kent, as you look at this whole mess, Rudy Giuliani, President Trump, in your opinion, was this a comprehensive and whole of government effort to end corruption in Ukraine? Referring to the requests in July? Exactly. Uh, I would not say so. No, sir. Yeah, I don't. I don't think President Trump was trying to end corruption in Ukraine. I think he was trying to aim corruption in Ukraine at Vice President Biden and at the 2020 election. Uh, so Heather seems like he dispatched with that argument uh, pretty easily there, George, uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State George Kent. He did. And of course, it's true. And also one thing he didn't mention in that, which is also the case, is that this prosecutor that Joe Biden had was railing against was had dropped a case against his Burisma, the company that his son mm -hmm. um, was a part of. So he was actually pressuring the country of Ukraine to go back and investigate that that company rather than trying to cut it off. He was doing the opposite of what Trump and his people are are uh, accusing him of doing. The whole thing is ridiculous. The timeline doesn't play off. In fact, Adam Schiff said at one point that you'd have to be a time traveler yes. uh, to do to do what Joe Biden is accused of doing. And it's all very convoluted. But the, but this is the actual fact. And it, you know, this is what the the Republicans have been doing. They've been throwing out, you know, throwing out as much, blowing as much smoke as they can, trying to obscure the reality mm -hmm. of what we know. And what uh, what happened today, in a nutshell, is that, that that phone call that we all read, that rough transcript the White House put out that Trump keeps saying we should read, and we know it's what we saw there. It's perfect, it's yes. It's perfect, and yes. what it perfectly relates is that the president mm -hmm. was trying to bribe and extort Ukrainian president to provide dirt and uh, you know an investigation against his domestic political rivals in return for money that had been appropriated by Congress to help them with military with military aid. That we saw in that call. There's really no question any sentient being can see what he was doing. What happened today was that they brought in a couple of of people who were involved in the Ukrainian you know, uh, mm -hmm. diplomacy of that period, who were able to back up our, what we saw in that call. They were able to say, yes, all this stuff was going on in the background. There were all these people who were involved in this, quote, irregular channel, which is what, uh, what uh, Taylor, Ambassador Taylor called it. This Rudy Giuliani and Kurt Volker and Gordon Sondland and Donald Trump and Rick Perry, they were all working behind the scenes to, do, to create this uh, separate channel that where they could extort the Ukrainian government to do what they wanted it to mm -hmm. do. And these people were all there, and they saw it. They didn't talk to Donald Trump directly, but they all saw what everybody else was talking about. So yes. this evidence 
was very important to get out there. It's not just the call. There's a reason why Trump wants everybody to look at the call, because that, you could say, well, I don't really see what he said that way. Well, <laughs> you can't say that when you hear what these other people were listening to and documenting at the time. Right. And you can see how these other witnesses all say the same thing. They exactly. all corroborate uh, what they saw and that, you know, was it what is implied in the transcript of the phone call. The problem that I have is that, you know, you know that, you know, what which came on today as evidence and, and in testimony uh, does not prove the Republicans' case and that they are trying to throw up obstacles. They're trying to, as you said, obscure reality. The concern that I have is that the public doesn't see that. I thought that the Republicans did a pretty credible job of trying to insert doubt, and that is all that they have to do, well, is insert doubt for the people who watch Fox News who won't hear any of this well, stuff. and let me jump on that, because, you know, these hearings... Uh, the the first very first one on Wednesday ran about six hours. Uh, they are very long. They're very complicated. There are a lot of characters involved. Even I had trouble keeping up with it uh, today. And I suspect I've been following this as you know as close or certainly closer than most Americans. Uh, Heather, is there a danger that the matter gets so lost in the weeds as it becomes so complex that America Americans simply can't keep up with it? Well, sure. And, and I, I, you know, partially the press has a responsibility here to try and do what we're doing right now, which is synthesize what we saw and try and present it from our point of view. As far as Fox is concerned, they're hopeless. I mean, you know, Desi, I, I, <laughs> I sort of tuned in over there yeah. and watched. I mean, they had chirons and all kinds of stuff on there just basically looking at the, as they as the witnesses were testifying they were actually sort of, you know, putting up propaganda against them on the screen really? as, they, as they were testifying. Yeah, you can go and look. Yeah, at I saw some of that, but I, I, I didn't it, uh, keep an bad. eye on it all day, and really. you can only imagine what Hannity and the rest of them are oh, going to sure. do. So the Fox News audience, I think, there's just no hope for them. That yes. That is not going to happen. So what we have to worry about is maybe mm. more what Brad is talking about, which is maybe this is overwhelming information. But I think at this point, I mean, I think the fact that, you know, the the, the clips that people are going to see, mm. the way that they're going to hear about this through the press, I think what, at the very least what they're going to see is that the Democrats have a serious case and that they are be, they're seriously pursuing this case and that the Republicans are talking about, you know, alleged nude pictures of Trump, which yes. is what Devin Nunes brought up yep. in his opening, opening. Yep. That's the level of crazy that they're at. So, uh, yes. so I'm hopeful that somehow or another that at that part at least will, you know, break through. And as we have uh, found with the presidential debates, for example, uh, in the past, you know, many years, the, the narrative that comes out of those presidential debates does not really develop during the debate itself, but in the days that right. follow as the media pull certain clips and play them over and over again. And I, I sort of had the expectation that something like that will happen here as well as as uh, the media sort of hones in on what they're interested in and a narrative develops uh, sort of out of that as we move forward right now it feels very messy it feels very complex and uh, and and there's a bunch of hearings that are scheduled already uh, over the next uh, couple of weeks Heather 
So I hope you'll uh, be getting enough sleep and you'll be able to, <laughs> to join us. We hope to stay in close touch with you, particularly on these hearing days over the Absolutely. next few weeks. Uh, as I said, as sort of our impeachment hearing uh, correspondent, uh, particularly <laughs> when I cannot watch them myself because I'm otherwise putting together a show. So uh, thank you for both jumping in today. And I'm thanking you in advance for your service <laughs> in what could be many weeks of this stuff ahead. My pleasure, uh, in, uh, I think. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think too. This this is rough, but I wanted to go back to you because you have been here with us on all of these important yeah. elements of the Trump oh, presidency. There's and so many. I, I know. Well, that's why you're here a lot, <laughs> Heather. Same. Exactly. All right. Thank you. We will be doing it My again uh, soon. I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay. okay. Very good. Bye. Thanks. Thanks. That is Heather Digby Parton. Of course, you can find her work at Salon.com and on her blog, digbysblog.blogspot.com and on the Twitters at Digby56. Okay, well, <laughs> there's our, our first day of special coverage of the impeachment. And what a day. Uh, yeah, I, and it'll be interesting to see if... Uh, you know, they've got a lot of folks set up for witnesses over, uh, well, this coming Friday and then next week, a yep. lot of them. It'll be interesting to see if the American people maintain interest in this, because I got to tell you, this seems like a pretty cut and dry case. It seems to me that Democrats could turn around and introduce articles of impeachment tomorrow and vote on them. But you make an excellent point. Does the public see this? Does the public grasp this? Because I think Republicans are doing a credible job of throwing up countermeasures and smoke screens. But the basic contours remain the same. Trump solicited interference in a U.S. election from a foreign power. And he was willing to extort and abuse his power in order to extort from a foreign country. You should be in the U.S. Senate. We could <laughs> we could use your vote on this. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer, and of course to my guest today, Heather Digby Parton, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That, of course, as ever, is thanks to those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep Desi and I on the air and me on the air every day uh, over your public airwaves. You can drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I hope you will find, follow, and share what we do there as well as um, harass me all you like. I am the Brad Blog. And that is it, I think. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.